let's have a little bit of a discussion of today's parsha, which is the parsha of Yishlach. And by the way, I mean, I enjoyed our conversation. We had a little conversation on Friday. I was a little bit out of it. I was kind of exhausted, really. So I'm not sure if I answered all your question. I would have paid enough attention. I was the just the question that I asked um, about the the brutal murdering of yeah. four men. Oh, oh no, yeah, by the table. But then later on, we had okay. a little discussion. I was kind of. Uh, That's okay. I was kind of tired a little bit uh, after it was a. Uh, I was uh, Yeah, so it was. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. You know, you were. You were. You were saying a lot of beautiful stuff to me, but I. I just didn't register anything. What you'll have to. Uh, okay. Um, so, the first thing is, you know, I want to have an interesting discussion in this in the in the parsha over here, and I like the nice thing about it is we can get some input over here, and you know the um, the Torah is meant for people to try to expound to the extent possible. So if they have uh, ideas or uh, things, as long as um, it's something which is, uh, brings a person to uh, closer to the service of Hashem and to uh, doing what's good and right, so then it's, it's, it's appropriate. So uh, there was actually uh, something that was bothering me when I was reading it, and I figured that... Maybe we'll expound a little bit about it and see if we can get some input. Um, but the first thing is, it's uh, today is, was Yud Kislev. Uh, it was the day that the Mittler Rebbe, which is the second in the line of the Chabad Rebbe's, his name was Duber. Uh, he was named after the Magid of Mizrich, who was the predecessor after the Baal Shem Tov and the teacher of his father, the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad. So the Mittler Rebbe was named after the Alter Rebbe, his father's teacher, Duber the Magid. And today was the day, uh, Yud Kislev, meaning today's day, today's already Yud Aleph, but today's day was the day that he was uh, freed from uh, his imprisonment. It wasn't as severe as it was by the altar by his father he wasn't he was it was more like a house arrest versus being in a cell or something like that uh, but yet it was a uh, a real serious there was serious accusations and um there um and therefore there's a big celebration of you know we don't say tachanon we have several se- several several celebrations in the chabad calendar as Yud Kislev, Yud Tes Kislev, Yud Beis Tammuz, the 12th of Tammuz. He was 54 years old when he passed away, and this took place when he was 52 years old. In Tov Kuf Nunvav, that's when it took place. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, it was thought that it was in Tov Kuf Nun Zayin, that it was 53. It turns out that he was uh, 52. This is off the subject. Uh, Look how tea cups can be used for holy purpose. Of course, (laughs) everything in the world. Okay, so. Because we know that nothing in the world. I'm good, I have a coffee, thank you. Because, um, because we know nothing in the world just happens because uh, 
just happened, just by by accident, just by um, everything is ordained and destined, and everything is by Hashem. Hashem orchestrates and Hashem runs everything. So when there is a problem, we know that it must be something behind the problem. So there must be something spiritual behind the problem. And when there is a salvation, there must be something spiritual behind the salvation. And we have to be sensitive and try to approach a problem not just from one angle. When a person gets into trouble, like if it's an imprisonment or it's a other problem you have in your life, in your family life, with, with your children, with with finances, or whatever it is, whatever problem you might have, one needs to approach it not just that this is a natural phenomenon, and the way they're going to resolve that problem is by just using natural means and trying to better the problem. And there's a balance over here. Of course, you have to have both. You have to work on all angles because Hashem's blessings comes through natural means but it is Hashem's blessings it's not the natural means by themselves and that's what we're saying because it's natural means it's your effort it's your uh, vessel that you make as you know like the old uh, saying goes about this fellow who wanted to become a millionaire he wanted to win the lottery and he was praying to God to um, to win the lottery and to no avail, he kept on praying, and finally a voice came out from the heaven. Why don't you buy a ticket? You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I mean, so so what does it mean? Well, Hashem is going to help that your ticket is going to win, but you gotta please buy the ticket to make that vehicle so Hashem's blessings come to 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 uh, to, to to work for you. And, you know, there's another one, you probably know that about the boat, uh, Shemdun, yeah. So, okay, so, but the point here is, in the Parsha, you see, very interesting, and everything goes back, we can learn from what and how our forefathers behaved. Because here you have Jacob, faced with a problem, and this is his brother, Esau. Esau is trying to kill him. So, after all these years, 20 years by Laban, plus 14 years that he spent, as we spoke last week, that he spent in the house of Shem Ve'ever, that is, so it's 20 and 14, so that's 34 years, and still, his mother said to uh, Yaakov, when she left, he says, maybe your brother will calm down after you leave, and maybe he'll forget what you've done to him, and he won't but no, not Esau. It was 34 years later, and Esau was just as adamant to get back at his brother Yaakov for taking his blessings. So what did Yaakov do in that situation? Yaakov prepared himself for three things. He prepared himself. He prepared for three things. He didn't do one thing. He prepared three, all three things. And of course, the first and foremost thing that he did was he prayed to Hashem. That's the first thing. He prays to Hashem. Because, like I said, because he knew if there's an incarceration, if there's an ace of, if there's a problem, we have to turn to Hashem. We have to pray to Hashem. We have to better ourselves spiritually. We have to try and take away the reasons why these problems come to us. So the first thing is prayer and turning to God. That was the first thing.
And then the second thing is he also tries, perhaps he can make up with his brother by sending him a large gift and sort of winning him over by with love. And if that doesn't work, he's also ready to wage battle, to wage war. So it was a combination, and that's so very important to remember when we have an issue and we're struggling about something, not to just look at it from the material, physical perspective, but just look at it at a deeper perspective. Whenever there's a problem, first thing Mrs. Valsov says to me is, we're going to write to the Rebbe. Or every thing, she'd like, there's no physical problem, just a physical problem. There's a bracha, there is a spiritual need to go ahead and do something spiritual. She says, let's do more outreach, let's try to bring God's word to more people. There's always a spiritual response. But of course, you can't just sit back with your hands folded and say, God, you know, send me the million dollars. God wants you to buy the ticket. Meaning we still got to go and do the natural way, try to work it out. So this is important for us to realize right from the parsha. this is what Yaakov did. He got ready, as Rashi says, and that's why the first thing is I wanted to mention this, that it's Yud Kislev, the previous, the middle Rebbe was arrested and freed. But this tells us that there's something spiritual over here. It's the prayers, and the fact that he was vindicated at the end proved that he was right, and they gave him a stamp of approval. Now, it worked, it was a little different in the physical sense, it was a little bit different by the Mittler Rebbe than it was by the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe, after he was freed from prison, actually there opened up a new era of increased, doubled, quadrupled the efforts and the amount of, of uh, the impact on the Jewish community, on other people, was tremendous after Petersburg, after he was arrested, and then he moved to Liadi, and Chabad community flourished over there, until unfortunately, then with the war with, um, with the French, with Napoleon against the Tsar, and in which they were, um, they were forced to leave, and the Altarebbe moved, and then they passed away on the way, running from Napoleon, he passed away over there. But there was a tremendous increase in activity after the incarceration. So actually, that vindication, that spiritual mandate that was given to them after the victory was something which they used to increase and to expand and to burst out to the east and the west, the south and the north, all over, to uh, do even more. By the middle Rebbe, it didn't work exactly that way, because he passed away shortly thereafter. As I said, he was incarcerated. Up till recently, they took it as the 52, but in, when the age of 53. And he passed away by 54, one day shy of the day that he was released. So yesterday, on the ninth day of Kislev, was actually his passing. But usually they would say that he was at the age of 53, that he was freed, and before he can come the next year, a day short of his day of liberation, he passed away. Or the way we know now, because we have the documents, actually they found the documents of the originally of the original back in the archives over there. And they see now that it actually took place when he was 52 years old, so two years later. But still, uh, we didn't see physically. But something that he accomplished 
One of the issues over there was the fact that uh, the law in Russia was that a rabbi is not allowed to take money from the community for his salary, but rather he must be on a fixed salary. But the question was really, that was one of the issues at hand, in addition to the many slanderous lies and other things, but the issue at hand at the time, the legal issue at hand was, uh, what is the status of a Rebbe? A Rebbe is not a hired a rabbi of a community. A rabbi, is, a rabbi is a spiritual leader, is a leader of a generation, is a different status. And the Rebbe did not have, did not serve as a rabbi of a community, but rather as a chief rabbi, as a head. And because that wasn't clear, that was part of the uh, debate over there, um, because the Hasidim, the Rebbe evidently would need his support and the Hasidim would provide for his personal needs for the Rebbe uh, on a voluntary basis to support the house of the, of, of the Rebbe. And the question was, is that illegal or not? I mean, the, some of the people argued that it was illegal for the Rebbe to take these funds because he is a rabbi. And on the other hand, the courts actually ruled with the Mittler Rebbe that a Rebbe does not fall under that category, and he's a category by himself, and he is permitted to be supported by the Hasidim or by the followers, those who want to support him. And that actually laid the ground for the following Rebbes, the Tzamech Tzedek, and later on, that proved the legality of their uh, sustaining themselves. And that was actually something which was very necessary. So you can say also, I mean, at least on the legal and on the uh, simple level, there was a lasting... Uh, I guess victory from that uh, from that court case because it turned out that this was okay. But in any event, um, I just want to mention that that whenever we have a difficulty, uh, of course we have to try to figure out how to deal with the difficulties on the literal, on the uh, natural ways. But we can't forget that everything comes from Hashem, and therefore we need to pray. And we need to increase our own good activities and become closer and better Jews. And then, hopefully, together with our activities, Hashem will send His blessings and will help, just like Yaakov did. He combined all these things together. But here today, I wanted to discuss uh, an idea that Rashi comments over here in the um, in the um, uh, preparation for uh, meeting up with his brother. And in preparation of a war, Yaakov actually split the groups so that it, um, um, he split the groups and he, he took all kinds of, you know, technically trying to be savvy about how to confront his brother. A, he also, I mean, for somebody of a simpleton like Yaakov, I mean, he was pretty, uh, pretty sharp. And he, uh, he, he knew how to put the presence in a way that would look huge, he, he put each group by itself, he did all kinds of things to try to get his brother to be satisfied with such a big gift so he was uh, working for that, but then we have and long, one as he was getting ready to meet his brother, he, I guess he sent the agents as we learned in the beginning, he sent agents and as Rashi says, those agents were actually angels, so 
Uh, that means that Yaakov had to his disposal these agents, these angels, and he sent them, and he saw that his brother is coming with 400 men, and he's going now to meet with his brother. And That's a good question. Sure. Um, it would be helpful to me to understand why Jacob wanted to meet Esau. Well, I don't know that uh, he wanted to meet him, but I know that Esau wanted to meet him. Uh, he was actually sending out to see what was going on, and he saw that Asa was coming towards him. So he got ready just to confront him. He had no choice. He was put into that. Uh, he was put in that situation. Well, I think he was heading back, and he wanted to know the situation if his brother was still angry at him. And when he sends the messengers, which are really angels, he ha- he hears, and not only is he still angry, but he's coming towards him. Yeah, exactly. Hundred men. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's also interesting that. Um, uh, that we read about the fact that God had just come to Yaakov and he blessed him, he told him not to be afraid, that he'll protect him. But still, the righteous people do not rely on their merits or they always think that maybe they've erred, maybe they've gotten their reward already, maybe they... So he was uh, not sure and he was he was afraid. And Rashi says he didn't want to get killed, but he didn't want to kill either. So he, was, he didn't want either way. He wasn't happy with this. But he was confronted. But over here he's getting ready. So let's do verse 23. Why don't we start, Ms. Wells, you do verse 23, okay? And then we'll see, um, okay, what does it say in verse 23? And he arose. And he arose during the night, and he took his two wives and his two maidservants and his eleven children, and he crossed the fork of the Yabok, the Yabok River. Okay, so the question is, it says here that he transferred. Who did he transfer? The two wives, that's Rachel and Leah. The two maidservants, that's Bilhah and Zilpah. And his 11 children. Now, we read before, when the old, everybody was born just in the previous Parsha, that there was a girl there too. Her name was? Dina. Dina. What happened with Dina? It's strange that the verse should specifically... Talk about everybody. Now, I just want you to know, in the Midrash and in Rashi, there are uh, indications that there were other girls over there as well. Because, like, there's one verse that states, just for example, one verse, it states that when Yosef was lost, it says, all of his sons and all of his daughters came to comfort Yaakov. So all of his daughters? What kind of all of his daughters? I mean, there's just one daughter there. What does the verse mean, all of his daughters? So in one commentary, Rashi says, well, there were actually many daughters. And in several places later on when they went down to Egypt, there is a question, uh, according to one, one, one interpretation that Rashi brings down, that actually the tribes married each other's twins. They had twins. But that wouldn't be... Okay, okay, but the, the point what I'm trying to make here, there may have been other people over there as well that the verse doesn't mention, but that wouldn't be such a problem because since the Torah doesn't talk clearly, didn't mention them before, we don't have to mention them that they passed. It could have, you know, Torah may ignore some of the, it doesn't tell us all the details. But Dina... Wasn't there speculation that Dina would have been a male except that there was... Um, Hashem miraculously, Rashi said, turned her into a female so because of the prayers of Leah so that she should not uh, be less than the other maidservants. Yes, yeah. 
Okay, but that's... Is that why she should have been counted? No, but the, the fact over here is, where is she? she? Where is she? Why is she not transferring? But Rashi has an interesting comment. Why don't you read the Rashi comments and see what Rashi says? And his 11 children. But where was Dina? Benjamin was not yet born, but Dina should have been counted. He put her, that's Yaakov, put her into a chest and locked her in so that Esau should not set eyes on her. Therefore, Jacob was punished for withholding her from his brother. Because had he married her, perhaps she would cause him to improve his ways. And she fell into the hands of Shechem. As we read later on. Well, that's really, um, I think, a a troubling uh, commentary because... And the, at the first incline, we say Yaakov was trying to protect Dina from Esau, right. right? And the question is, um, what do you think? Did Yaakov do the right thing by putting Dina in a box? Maybe he did the right thing. But first, to say, I don't blame Yaakov. Here he's coming to beat his brother, who's wild, who takes other women from you know other men's wives. Rashi said that before. He experienced that firsthand, and here he has one daughter, a daughter that's mentioned. A beautiful young girl. She's nice. He knows her personality. So I would have done the same thing. I would have taken my daughter and hit her. He didn't want that anyone should see her because he says, what is he going to do? He's going to, and then if if he wants my daughter, I have no choice. And on that premise, if Leah had married Aesop, maybe she could have turned him. Well, but okay, but that wasn't up to Yaakov. But no. the question is not that. But the question is further. But, but, but look, look, look carefully into what Rashi says. Rashi doesn't say that she would have changed his mind. She could might. And what if not? Right. I mean, so Rashi doesn't say that she. If Rashi would have said that she could have swayed him, okay, we understand that. Rashi says maybe. But maybe yes, maybe no. He couldn't take it. He couldn't take a chance with that. But this was one of two deceptions that Jacob did to his twin. The second. What did he put into the box? One was that. That's he not a deception. He didn't show her. It's oh. kind of a deception. It's hiding. It's concealing. Yeah, so it doesn't have to. You know, my mother, when she rested, she used to always tell me. She says, you're not allowed to lie, but you don't have to tell them all the truth either. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, I can't lie, but you don't have to, he, he doesn't have to show her whatever he has. That wouldn't, later, I wouldn't call that deception. But later in the Parsha, he, he does lie. He tells Esau that he will meet him in, is it Seur? Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's another point. But there too, he, didn't, he says, I'll meet you at some point. And Rashi says he will meet him. In the future, when Mashiach will come, he'll meet him over there. But I thought it was specifically, I will be slower because I have to and stay slow, with these slow. animals, but he, I will meet you in such and such a place. And I was wondering, I know, I'm sorry if I'm getting ahead, but if that angered Esau to the point where here he is telling his children and his grandchildren that no good twin of mine deceived me. And for the third time, he's keeping the camera. Okay, um, okay. So, like you said, let's leave that for later because this is going ahead where we we can discuss that. But just so you um, you you, un- you understand that it seems like all these deceptions, even though they were deceptions, but one thing Rashi always makes sure is to point out. It's interesting 
even when Yitzchak, when Yaakov comes to Yitzchak and he says to him, he says, who are you, my son? He says, I am, Esau is your older son. He, instead of saying, I am Esau, your older son, he, Rashi makes a stop. He said, I am, Esau is your older son. But wait a minute, what difference does it make what you said? He, you deceived him, you're trying to tell him, you're making him believe. But there's a difference between actually saying a lie or saying things that you're actually not lying and the person thinks that you're lying. But that's another thing. So I'm saying that Rashi too makes a point of saying that he didn't outright uh, lie to him, but it was actually, he used the word, you can twist the words to mean something else. But let's, let's leave that to rest for now, because we have a lot to discuss over here, and let's see how this will work out. But the, 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 the question is, okay, you think that putting it in a box, the, the question uh, maybe doesn't seem to be really such a strong uh, argument because maybe not. Maybe yes, maybe not. And then... Jacob was punished. That's right. And then the question is, why was he punished for it? Okay, yes or no. He tried to protect her, maybe. Because maybe... So first of all, we're actually questioning, in our mind, we're thinking, maybe he did the right thing because he actually did the right thing. But let's say even... But why would he be punished for this? I mean, anyway, why should he be punished? This is the second time there has been a concealment. The first being Rachel, which Jacob didn't know about, Rachel having her father's idol and hiding it. And then there being a consequence for both of them. And here again, it's like he hasn't learned. He's concealing. According to some commentary, uh, he concealed even his wife Sarah in the box when he came there. And then, yeah, the KKK, Avram concealed his wife Sarah in the box. And then they opened up the taxes, so he had to, she came out, so they saw, they asked Maybe her. So, so this, <laughs> this putting the women into the boxes is something, something which is not, which is not, which is not new. But, but, but the point over here is, it seems that he wasn't punished because of deception, like you're, you're, you're going toward that angle. The punishment was because he denied him from his brother who turned his heart around. And my question is, why would, first of all, he wasn't sure. So that doesn't even seem like a, uh, such a terrible thing. And even if it was terrible, he, but he tried, he meant well. I mean, why would he be punished? Okay, we'll see what I, I have a certain idea that I want to share with you. And okay, those are all good ideas. And, um, and finally, um, um, it... Uh, it, it says, why is this a punishment for Yaakov that she fell in the hands of Shechem? How is this a punishment for Yaakov? Uh, why would Dina need to suffer for his mistake? So he made a mistake. He put her into a box. And now she's being punished. Okay, so the father... Is, what happened Okay, what happened later on, she was actually she taken them. She was forced into the house over there and, you know, they... They violated her, and then the sons, the brothers, took up for her. They killed the entire city, and they they freed her eventually. You don't have to read any novel. All you have to read is the Torah stories. (laughs) Okay. It seems. It seems. And the question is, it seems more a punishment for Dina than for Yaakov. It seems like yeah. Why would why why would we punish Yaakov that way? Okay. Um. So. All the men who have been circumcised. Uh-huh. And thinking that another deception. Wanted, Further deception. They, they all got punished. They got killed. Yeah, and that's another question. What what they did wrong was okay because they didn't judge. I mean, that's also all these things are dealt with the commentaries, 
And I just had a, uh, an idea that I want to share with you that I thought would, 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 would very um, answer a lot of these questions that we're having now that seems to be very, very difficult. But before we get to the answer, uh, I just wanted to um, also point out that it seems like um, Rash says that he, he hit him in the box, right? Now, that, seems to, that would seem to satisfy Rashi's concern. Where was she? What was Rashi's question? Where was she? So Rashi says, he hit her in the box because he didn't want Esav to see her. So Rashi, that part of Rashi saying. Why does Rashi have to continue the commentary and say that he was punished? I mean, how does that, how does that answer, how does that help us over here uh, to understand this, this idea? How does the second part, I don't write this out, but how does the second part that Rashi brings down help us to understand uh, that it was either wrong or it was right or whatever that what, what he did. What do we have to get involved even whether this was right or wrong? The question was, one, where was Dina? The answer is he hit Dina because he didn't want Asaph to pay, place his eyes on him. Whether he did right or he did wrong, should not be Rashi's concern right now to address. Why is that important to explain that? I mean, that seems to be going beyond Rashi's purpose of trying to explain where Dina was. He could just say he hit her because or maybe. whether it's good or it's bad doesn't seem like to be of consequence Rashi, to this, to this to interpretation. Yeah. It says, look, he's informing you. Where was she? She was put into the box. Right. Why? So that Asaph should not see him. Period. And that should be the end. But he wants to tell you. This was bad. That's right. So Why? Where else is he going to tell you? No, but I'm here, but I'm, what I'm trying to say, we're having a problem right. understanding this whole Rashi, and I'm asking on top of having a problem understanding this whole Rashi, I'm having a problem, why does even Rashi have to comment anything further beyond saying that he put her into the box and that was the end of it? Whether it was good or bad is another issue. And why, why does Rashi, is Rashi trying to explain what happened later, why did it happen later? But you will see, based on what we're going to explain, I think all this is going to be perfect, going to make perfect sense. And we're going to, I think there's, there's a key to understanding this that is going to make sense. But let's, before we do that, let's go and examine, it seems like just a few verses later on, it seems like hiding somebody from the view of Esau was actually a very positive, it was very, uh, a blessing was given for that. Forget about a punishment. Read the next verse, uh, Janice, please. In chapter 33, verse 1. Jacob lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children with Leah and with Rachel and with the two maidservants. Do, do the next one, too. And he placed the maidservants and their children first, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and her Joseph left. Okay, so now, just, I just want to point out to you, if you look in the order, the mothers always come first. He plays the maidservants and their children first. Leah, the mother, and her children. And Rachel and her, okay? So first the mother, and then the children. Contrast that, this is where he did. Now, jump ahead a few verses later on. Now he's meeting up with Asa. Let's leak how the verse states that. Verse, chapter 33, verse 6. And the maidservants and their children drew them near and prostrated themselves. Seven. 
And Leah, Leah and her children drew near and prostrated themselves. And after them, Joseph and Rachel near, drew near and prostrated themselves. Hey, wait a minute. But look over here before you go further. What does it say here? All of a sudden, the verse changes around. It says, Joseph and Rachel drew near. We were, before it was Rachel and Joseph. By all, in all these other cases, it was first the mother, and then it was the son. And here all of a sudden, when it comes to him, Joseph comes before Rachel. What's going on over here? So let's do the Rashi. Yes, yeah, protecting his mother. Now do the Rashi, Mrs. Valsuf. He says, Joseph and In all cases, the mothers do near the sons. But in Rachel's case, Joseph preceded her. He said, my mother has a pretty figure. Perhaps that scoundrel will set his eyes on her. I will stand in front of her and prevent him from gazing upon her. Because of this deed, Joseph merited the blessing over the eye, meaning that he stood up in front of Esau's eyes. But wait a minute. Yosef did exactly the same thing as his father did. Okay, Rashi actually points to the difference because Rashi says Dina could have married him and chased and changed around, and Leah, of course, was already a married woman, and she couldn't. Uh, what they were a married woman? Or, I mean, Rachel was a married woman, and they couldn't do that. But that okay, that is understood. But the act itself of preventing him from looking at his at his mother got him a blessing so that means that that was something very very positive and, and perhaps that's why Rashi has to say in the beginning if Rashi does say that he was punished he must explain why he was punished because in of itself logically and also from here we see that protecting the women from Esau was something what you needed to do he got him a blessing so why would Yaakov be so punished? It goes back to the question over here. Okay, because Dina could have married him and changed him around, but that's, that's a question mark. That's not, not certain. The Rebbe learns, um, which I saw after that, the Rebbe learns in a, one of his talks, the Rebbe learns that it was more than just a question mark, that Dina had the power she could have uh, really changed them. But if you read the simple text in Rashi, not to in the simple text, it would almost seem like this wasn't like a given. It was something that was questionable. Could she change it or not? And yet he was punished. And then the question becomes, and all the question we ask, why was he punished? How was he punished? Is this a punish for Dina, not for him? Why does Rashi have to get involved in this whole thing? Rashi could have said he hit her. He doesn't want to say he got a blessing. No, Yosef got a blessing for protecting his mother. He didn't have to get into the vault. What's going on? There must be something deeper over here. I mean, in Leviticus, when it says what are incestuous relationships, are nieces allowed to marry uncles? But in, in those days, that was very I common. It hadn't come yet, but I just... Okay, no, but in those days, not only did it happen, but here you see Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, uh, parents was a niece with a... With, a, with an uncle, it was a, it, it was an, uh, with an with an with an aunt. Yo-chabit. It was the because Yehovah was daughter of Levi, which was his father's sister, which was Amram's father's sister. So there was an incestuous relationship, and this was Moshe Rabbeinu's. Yeah, he married his aunt, and his aunt, and then we have the brothers marrying each other, and we have all the relatives marrying. So now, actually, but that that's explained. There's an explanation for that that. Incestuous relationship is we can't handle it today. That's why it's prohibited. But in those days when they could handle it, 
it actually had additional, and you can see that also for medical reasons. Uh, you know, once there is a mixture of the same blood, there could be terrible, devastating uh, effects of the deformities and things like that. And that means, but that's only because. But on the other hand, sometimes they say the great geniuses come from that. There was like, uh, anyway, but that's that's another subject. But again, yeah, let's take a look. In, okay, let's take a look. And then, yeah, you want to say something? Chapter 34, verse 1. Yosef had not been, to, to my knowledge, in communication with Hashem or with angels. Jacob had been assured on two occasions by angels. First, the angels with the ladders, and then Esau's angel. And told your name is Israel because I cannot overcome you. So he he still didn't seem to have faith. You're, it's along the track we're going to talk to. Good, yeah, a good observation. And this is going to be a little bit uh, uh, the way I'm going to try to explain it along those lines. But let's get one more point. I want to bring one more point in. I want to show that Dina actually. It says the reason she was punished, the verse says, was because who she was. It wasn't nothing to do with Yaakov. It was dope. Because let's do the next verse. Why don't you do the next verse? And this is in chapter 34, verse 1. Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to look about among the daughters of the land. Very surprising. How are we referring to Dina here? The daughter of Leah. Why the daughter of Leah, not the daughter of Jacob, as she was called before? So here, let's do the Rashi. So what does Rashi say? And not the daughter of Jacob. However, because of her going out, she was called the daughter of Leah, since she, Leah too, was in the habit of going out, as it is said, and Leah came forth toward him. And concerning her, they devised the proverb, like mother, like daughter. But... So this seems, okay, and also the Rebbe actually learns that this wasn't a negative thing about Leah. The Rebbe has a positive spin, as usual, to all this. And the Rebbe learns positively about Leah because we actually see that Leah was blessed with a child from that going out. It wasn't something negative, so it was positive. But in the simple, in the first approach of the Rashi, one would look, one seems, one thinks that Rashi is saying over here that she was, you know, hanging out with the wrong people. She was going outside. She was basically causing getting herself to trouble. Today they would say blame the victim, you know. I mean they you know, they you know, but she basically put herself in a vulnerable position. Yeah, but apparently this going out, you know, instead of I guess not being at that time of the day or another whatever. Okay, but okay, but that's again another discussion. Who, Leah? Dina. How Dina? She was fairly young at the time. She must have been fairly young. I'll tell you very simply, because she was born right before Yosef. And yes, she must have been somewhere like six years old. Five to six years old. Well, couldn't be, because uh, right after, shortly after Yosef was born. Six, six, maybe, uh, no, just six years old. Five years old. Six years old. But the the ages were different there. Even though six years old, they had a different. They matured. It wasn't the same like we're here today. But now, again, I say this verse seems to blame 
Dina, not Yaakov, you know. I mean, we learned that Yaakov, it seems that Dina, you know, she brought it upon herself. So I want to tell you a story uh, that I once read. And I think that that story's significance will be the key to understand what happened here. So the story goes like this. That there was a Hasidic master who would invite his Hasidim to his court and they would uh, discuss Torah together, they would you know, serve some food together and they would uh, basically uh, enjoy uh, their company of each other and, and the Rebbe would lead those, um, those gatherings. Now, some people are very, who are very, very religious when it comes to Passover they don't eat in, anybody, in anybody's home. They just eat in their own home just to make sure that everything is like up to their standards. So they just don't eat out and pay so far, a Passover roll. Now, this, there was one particular chassid uh, who was so stringent and he was so religious that he wouldn't even eat in his own Rebbe's home. So what they served there, he wouldn't eat. But he had a problem. If he would go Passover to his Rebbe's table, not to eat there would be an offensive to his, to his teacher. And to eat there he didn't want. So what did he do? So he avoided going to the Rebbe on Passover. So Passover was the one holiday he stayed away. So, but he was a, a significant chassid and he was an important. And one time when the Passover, when the Rebbe was running a uh, gathering of a bringing a get together from all the Hasidim, and this great chassid is not there. And the Rebbe asked, "Where is so and so? Where is he?" And they, you know, the chassid, other chassidim know, but finally they had to say that he doesn't eat out anywhere on Passover. So the Rebbe sends to one of the other ones that was in attendance. He said, to them, go tell him." They had. Um, prepared for Passover because they were so religious that they didn't draw any water on Passover. They would prepare all the water in jugs from before Passover. They put up big jugs of water and that's all they would use. They wouldn't go and collect on Passover. So he says to him, go tell the chassid that under the lid of his uh, one of these jugs there's a little bit of chametz over there under the jug. He goes to the chassid and he comes to him, told him, and he took a look, he saw it was it. The whole world became uh, black and firm. He was so upset and so sad, he ran quickly to his Rebbe. And he says, Rebbe, Rebbe, Rebbe. He says, I have three, three questions, I said, says, Rebbe. He says, Rebbe, number one, if you knew that I have chometz in my... Why didn't you tell me before Pesach? I violated such an uh, important mitzvah of not having chometz in Pesach. Why didn't you tell me before? And number two, Rebbe, why do I deserve this? I try so hard with all my heart, with all my soul. I try to serve Hashem, make sure, do the mitzvahs in the most perfect way. Why do I deserve it to fail so miserably? after trying so hard. And third, Rebbe, he wants to ask, what do I do to make up for this uh, transgression? And Rebbe told him, listen. He says, number one, let me tell you something. 
if I'd known that you have chametz under the lid, of course I would tell you. I wouldn't uh, hid it from you. He said, I didn't know. I didn't know that. But when I saw all the Hasidim are by the table and everybody is together and you're not there, I knew there had to be something wrong. There couldn't have been. There can't be a positive reason for you not to be able to participate in a place where you should be with, all, with everybody together at your Rebbe's table on Passover when it's such a beautiful thing. Somewhere I got that sort of vision from above that there's something wrong under the water, and that's what happened. Now, what you ask me, why did you fail when you try so hard? He says, well, that's precisely what the point is. What Hashem is trying to tell you and all of us is that we're all human beings, and we're subject to failure, and we... We can't be confident and sure without a doubt that we are going to succeed. That's being arrogant. That's being haughty. That's being believing in yourself and your powers and thinking that you're not going to make a mistake. And that's wrong. What Hashem is telling you is that you must have faith in Hashem. You do the best you can, but you can't absolutely guarantee yourself because you are thinking that you can do it alone you don't need Hashem you'll figure out how to do it and you'll succeed Hashem told you no 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 you're just a human being you can't succeed without Hashem you need Hashem's input you need Hashem's blessing and you need to rely on Hashem and trust in Hashem and then he told them what to do to make up look closely to the words of Rashi Rashi doesn't say that he put her in a chest. What does Rashi add? Two more words. He put her into a chest and locked her in. And locked her in. The key words is he locked her in. Why did he lock her in? In case he wanted to get out. He wanted to absolutely guarantee himself that there is no way Mm. she is going to be able to fall in the hands. He thought that he has the power and he has the ability to make sure without Hashem's help, he is going to see to it she is not going to fall in the hands of Esau. His punishment came for his certainty, for believing that he can do it, that he can lock it up. That was his punishment. Of course, it was Dina that was punished what she did. His punishment, what did Hashem show him? Hey, you think you can protect yourself? She fell in the hands of Shechem. Look at that. You see, you think that you have an ability, that you can control everything. And that's why Rashi needs to bring down this whole other piece, because this goes along explaining what the what was going on over here. That locking as Rashi says, when Rashi says he locked her in, Rashi is implying over here that he left no avenue for mistake. Now we know for sure that Esau isn't going to get to her. Hashem says, no, you're going to get punished. Not punished just, you'll get punished because you can't be certain. Now, even though she, why can't you be certain? Because the fact that we don't know if she can change his heart or not. You are not supposed to rely 100% to protect yourself because there may be other plans. 
maybe Hashem will orchestrate it, that she should fall in his hands. Don't lock her in there. Maybe she could. It's enough that there's a maybe. The maybe just goes counter to the certainty that he has. You're saying for sure, I know what's good. You know, many times we have to make decisions. And we, as a person in our own lives, we have to make decisions sometimes, you know, like with a school, which school we're going to send our children to. And sometimes we looked and we saw that there were some schools that we thought would provide a better education for our children. But being Chabad, we knew in our heart that we need to send to a school which has the Rebbe's stamp on it. We had the Rebbe's name on it. That's what we knew. And so a lot of times we actually compromised of what we thought that we knew. We were sure which is the better one. But we knew, listen, to be successful with your children, you need Hashem's help. It doesn't matter which school you send to, you can have there, you can have bad, bad friends over here, you can, things can go wrong. You know what? You have to rely on a Kodesh Baruch a little bit. Of course, that's not a, there has to be a balance. At what point okay, do you but say, that, put her in and not lock her? Okay, so that's what you say. If people want to lock up, you know what? I've seen many people who locked up their children. It didn't help. Yeah. They're miserably failed miserably and i've seen many people who've not locked up their children they've guided them they put them in the box but they didn't lock them up they put them into the box locking up is a step beyond it's a step of saying to yourself i'm going to make sure and you can't you can't do that because there is still a god in the world who controls things, whose help you need. you got to pray to Hashem. So although we said before, Yaakov was doing all these things, but in this particular case, he wasn't punished. Something happened bad to Dina. What was the question? We asked before, uh, did Yaakov do, put it in a box? Yes. But he didn't do, not locking her in there. Box. If she wanted to get out, if there was a possibility, he should have allowed for that. He shouldn't have locked her in. Do what you can. The next thing is, why should... Why would he be punished for it? He's punished for thinking that he can protect. Then, why is this punishment of Yaakov that she fell into the hands of Shechem? Why would Dina suffer for something else? That was Falling into Shechem just showed Yaakov, like, you have no guarantees in this world. You know, look, here you try and you think you're going to send her to this place, you're going to lock her up over here. You know what? It's, it's not going to help you. So, you know what? Don't. His punishment was for his certainty and his way was Hashem showed him that she felt him. And Rashi is trying to give us this, I believe, this message over here, that there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance. Yeah? She suffered. His punishment. Why should a demon suffer? No, she suffered because what she, that's a separate thing. But he, it's basically showing, as you would say, okay, if you forced your child to do something, and at the end of the day, you're proven that you couldn't, you would, the more you tried, and because you thought that you can control it, you didn't trust Hashem for it, right? And you did beyond what's reasonable. Uh, and then you saw it didn't work. It just didn't work out. It didn't work out for her. 
At the end, it didn't so work why out. Was she well, she was because she was Leia, because she takes it. Rashi is not telling you. Maybe Rashi didn't say. Rashi just say Nafla. Actually, Rashi just says Nafla. <laughs> that she fell. I'm free. <laughs> okay. And uh, I think. Rabbi, uh, yeah. I want to this point. Yeah. I want to so I, I leave the shoes. So I have this thing when I clean the house with Pesach right. that I'm going to go through every nook and cranny and turn over every bed and I make my whole family crazy as my husband can attest to our cleaning of the house of Pesach. And my kids would say to me, oh my, you make everybody crazy. I know, I said, I need to make sure that I have cleaned this house 100% clean for Pesach. And this happened to me once and then twice. We come, the whole house is clean, we sit down, and one of my grandchildren take the Lego box and they flip it right over in front of the hallway. And how do those Lego box comes out a nice slice of bread. <laughs> and I, when I hear that story, I feel like it speaks to me because you can that try and try and try, but you gotta have some faith in God to help you along in this. Because my attitude is nobody cleans like I do. I get everything clean. And then I turn and see, <laughs> it's in the Lego box. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly that's the and point. I, I, that's the point of the story. That's the lesson of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is just one possible interpretation. I'm not saying everything is that, but the the message is true anyways. That um, no matter what, whether this is the real interpretation, but the message is true that you know we're only limited what we can do, and we got to rely on Hashem and pray to Hashem to make us successful and uh, do what what's right. And that's why when it came to our own children, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, I always said, you know, that's going to be the, the guiding. I'm going to try to do what's right, you know, and what I know, what I think my Rebbe wants me to do. Even though if I thought sometimes, you know, I understand better. And I had occasion recently uh, to talk to somebody who actually told me exactly the same story. He said, he says, you know what, I thought I'm going to be smarter. And he's now bemoaning the fact. He said, I thought I'm going to be smarter. I'm going to be the system. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. You know, I want to make it better. And you know what, he said, I ended up losing out a lot. He says, I know now after it's a little bit too late. He says, you know, one of my children is, I went the other way, but now for the younger children, I'm going. So he, he basically gave me the same point. He says, look, you know, I thought that I can figure out better. And that's what I wanted to do with them can't always figure out better. Again, that doesn't exempt us from trying to do the best we know how or whatever, but there has to be that recognition that we are uh, vulnerable and we're not perfect. But I think perfect, that we're also know. not only vulnerable, because like, like Robbie says, we need to have a tremendous amount of faith. Hashem had promised him once and twice. So I think when we think, we can do it. That we have a way to protect that We know that it's our strength and our power and our brains that are going to accomplish what we need to do on our mission. And we leave out God from the picture. That's exactly right. And, and that's what why. is out of our control? Because ultimately, everything is out of and our And that, that's exactly, because he was blessed by Hashem. And to me, the Rebbe blesses the places of his that he carries the name on it that has his blessing. So therefore, he's basically telling us, don't be afraid. You do what you can. You can improve, try to work, and then that's it. But then you're going to get my blessing. So why do you have to be smarter and try to outsmart? Do go with the system, follow it, and you will be successful. Faith. Don't and have think faith. that you have the power 
Okay, I hope we learned something. Beautiful, thank you. You know, when you were going like this, Sarah, I thought of the analogy when you put sand in your hand and you throw it in your hand.